Welcome back, everybody. We've missed you. Uh, we are the Government Relations and Public Affairs Shortcast, uh, also known as Thanks Good Talk. It's been a while, so we've got a lot to catch up with. Uh, my co-hosts, Tim and Chess, are here, and we have a very special guest. Why don't uh, we ask a special guest to introduce himself? Hello, everyone. Uh, Cola Rathburn. I'm an attorney here at Hogan Levels, and uh, happy to join you on this shortcast today, Ivan. Thank you. So, Colo, we always ask our guests to, you know, give us a little bit of background. How did one go about becoming Colo? Uh, well, I'm originally from Hawaii, native Hawaiian, uh, interested in policy issues, uh, mostly related to the environment and oceans. And uh, after college and graduate school, I came to D.C. on a one-year fellowship to the Department of Commerce and worked on Capitol Hill for uh, a member named Senator Wicker. And once that year was up, I decided that I really enjoyed being in, in DC. So I stayed on the Hill, worked for Senator Wicker for several years, uh, then went over to the Senate Appropriations Committee under then Chairman uh, Richard Shelby from Alabama. Went to law school at night, and I eventually found my way here to Hogan Levels. Great. Well, it's terrific to have you on our show today. So why don't we kick off, gang, by talking a little bit about what the big issues are. We've had a lot of news. We've got a we've got an indictment. We lifted the debt ceiling. A lot of stuff happened. So let's talk a little bit about where we are in Washington, D.C. and where we're going. Why don't we start with you, Tim? You're always up on everything. So... <laughs> We are sort of at a kind of a moment of equipoise, if you will, right, where we've got one big uh, hurdle uh, done and a whole bunch of others yet to come. And it's looking as if the speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, has maybe bought himself a little bit of trouble um, in terms of getting the debt ceiling package through uh, without some of his more restive right wing elements. Uh, who are now uh, sort of threatening to take the rest of his agenda hostage and have succeeded in getting the Republican conference in the House to bless a vastly reduced spending target for fiscal year 2024, something that we'll get into in a bit with our appropriations expert, Colo. Um, and that set up a dynamic with the Senate, which is you know, on board with the debt ceiling agreement that was reached between the president and Speaker McCarthy a couple of weeks ago. So it's a little bit of a mess internally in the Congress. You layer on that the fact that um, the former president was indicted on federal charges uh, with possible additional federal and state charges yet to come. And uh, we've got the beginnings of a long, interesting, hot summer here in the nation's capital. And don't forget a, pre a presidential primary that has kicked off with 772 candidates on the Republican side. So things should be very exciting. Jess, over to you. Yeah, and I, I think Tim summed it up pretty well. It's um, sort of the chickens are coming home for roost uh, from the debt ceiling now with McCarthy. It's um, the September 30th shutdown, um, you know, only a few session weeks left before that hits. Um, there is a lot of internal work that needs to be done among House Republicans, um, and then not to mention um, trying to square that with the Democratic-controlled Senate. Um, you know, Cola can talk about that process a little bit more, 
but I think that's going to really dominate, um, you know, the next few months, if not, you know, into longer is past his prologue. Uh, you can expect CRs um, or maybe not, maybe a shutdown. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think this thing gets wrapped up by September 30th, to say the least. That's an interesting perspective, Chess. So, uh, you know, as we think about Colin, over to you, and let's start a little bit of conversation about, we, you know, big picture, what some of the move vehicles maybe that move. You know, I think as you think about Washington, D.C., you know, and, and the profession that we've chosen for ourselves, we're constantly thinking about what are the moving vehicles that we can get our client issues resolved. So as you see the, your crystal ball, all, all three of you, but let's start with Colo. As you see your crystal ball, what do you what do you see moving before the end of the year and possibly next year? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I think I have to go to the two workhorses of congressional legislative process and enactment each year. And that that's appropriations and uh and the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA. So uh Let's start with with appropriations. It's typically an ugly process. Um, there's a lot of fighting throughout the year. Folks will read a headline here or, or a headline there. Um, there might be a, a short-term funding gap, maybe even a short shutdown that happens uh, partially or, or across the government in years past or and ahead. But year after year, Congress does eventually end up putting together a giant omnibus funding package typically enacting that and then going out going home for the holidays i i believe there's a path for that to happen this year and i think that that's going to be a vehicle the other one that i'll just mention quickly the national defense authorization act it's been enacted by congress for the last 63 years straight um including uh a year when when president trump uh, was in office and and uh, issued a veto. It was overridden, or he had a veto threat, and Republicans controlled the Senate and still overcame it. Um, so I think that we can we can expect NDAA to also get enacted this year. So there's also there's a couple of other must dos that need to get done this year. Uh, one of which is something that uh, sort of near and dear to my heart, which is the reauthorization of an. In Important intelligence program called Section 702. It's starting to get a little bit of traction. Um, it's going to be an end of year item. And because it does not, it's the politics of this are not going to follow the traditional Democratic Republican ones. Um, you're going to see the strange alignment of a lot of progressives and then far right Freedom Caucus types over in the House. Um, and then, you know, a different constellation of people in the Senate. So that's something to look out for sort of towards the end of the year. Uh, there's the FAA reauthorization that needs to get done. Uh, there's, you know, relations with China. You know, there was a good visit um, between Secretary Blinken um, and, uh, you know, number of Chinese officials, including President Xi Jinping over last weekend. Uh, but many obstacles remain going forward. Um, and so, you know, I expect that that's going to continue to be a rocky road. And then obviously there's going to be uh, a showdown at some point over a, you know, another funding round for Ukraine. And uh, that's going to, 
you know, again, sort of pit the House Republicans who are becoming much more skeptical about helping Kiev uh, against their Senate counterparts under Leader McConnell, who is absolutely four square behind support for Ukraine. Uh, yeah, I mean, in addition to what Coro uh, and Tim mentioned, um, you know, there is a farm bill that is due, at least theoretically supposed to be enacted this year. Um, you know, that could either ride along with some end of the year package or um, do a one year authorization to buy themselves some time to um, sort of get these policies out. Um, there's also an FAA bill um, that needs to be reauth reauthorized um, that includes a lot of um, you know, airline policy, both on the sort of macro level and also consumer level policy. Um, and then not to mention the fight over whether there's gonna be more flights in and out of national airport, which is uh, near and dear to many members hearts. Um, and finally, there are um, beginnings of you know, some sort of tax bill um, that are percolating in the House and the Senate. I think um, the details are, you know, it's still pretty early in the process. Um, but that's another thing that we're keeping our eye on for clients. And I think, you know, just one other one other item to, to add is, you know, I think Leader Schumer has a China bill up his sleeve that he's um, – that he's sort of, you know, been hinting to um, never, you know, I, I doubt it'll happen, but never underestimate a motivated uh, Chuck Schumer. Um, so, you know, given how ugly the headlines are and given how ugly things have been in Washington, D.C., what we have just outlined is a tremendous amount of potential bills. And there's others that we haven't thought about. So let's go back to my theory or our theory that the uglier things get in Washington, D.C., the more productive it becomes in recent times. So, hey, you never know. Uh, I'm an optimist, so we may see things progress in a way that uh, we haven't seen in a long time because they're certainly uglier than they have been in the past. So on to our second subject. And, you know, I, I will cede the floor here to my co-hosts uh, for questions. But, Colo, let's talk a little bit about appropriations. Is appropriations back? Is it, you know, are we are we starting to, you know, quote unquote, get into that ugly territory of potential earmarks or directed spending or whatever the new name is? Yeah, so I think earmarks earmarks, congressionally directed spending, which the Senate likes to call it, community project funding, which the House likes to call it. Uh, those are back. Those have been back. And I don't think they're going away. They've been restricted this year by the uh, in the House, uh, which is now under Republican control. But they're still around. And I think that's a good indication that they're not going anywhere. Um, I don't think earmarks in the grand scheme of things is going to play a huge role in how how urine funding sort of comes together and what what deals get cut. But I do believe that you know they're they're a good tool uh, to grease the skids for certain members, and more importantly for our audience, it is a great way for clients that are looking for uh, government support. Whether you're you know partnering with a government agency, whether uh, you're a grant recipient or interested in getting grants, or in, other, in any other way contracts with or subcontract through a government agency, earmarks can be a powerful tool. But I, you know, I also say earmarks are, are just one piece. We have uh, a number of clients who don't qualify for earmarks and never have, even under the old rules, that can benefit 
uh, very much through through the appropriations process, and this year is no different than than any years past. Cola, what's the um, the mood on the committee like? Appropriations, at least from an outsider, always seemed like a place where there was you know some level of bipartisanship, and there was a lot of motivation, um, especially among the chairs and rankings who can direct a lot of the appropriations to their states and districts um, to to get a deal done. Is that still the case? Is there is it as fractured as other? committees and other, you know, and just sort of the House and Senate writ large? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, I came up on, as a Senate appropriation staffer, and it's very much, you know, the old adage, there's three parties in Washington, Democrats, Republicans, and appropriators. And I think that still very much holds true in the Senate. And the Senate Appropriations Committee now under new leadership with uh, Chair Murray from Washington, uh, Patty Murray, and Vice Chair uh, Senator Collins, Susan Collins from Maine, uh, are you know they're joined at the hip and at the arms uh, in in wanting to do regular appropriations bills and keeping it very bipartisan. Can't say the same for the House, and a lot of that just has to do with the close margins I think between both parties in the House and maybe some deals that Speaker McCarthy cut early on uh, when he was seeking the speakership by placing members on different committees uh, that are more of the Freedom Caucus or um, far right leaning persuasion that now have greater influence. You know, there there are a few members on the Appropriations Committee in the Senate, or I'm sorry, in the House that don't take the traditional funding tact, which is, I see this as a powerful committee for two things. One, bring funding back home to my district or my state. Two, it's also a great way to uh, help guide or force certain agency action that, by the way, also benefits my uh, my district or my state. What we see, this is sort of a long answer to your question, but what we see in the House is an emphasis on cutting spending. And in fact, um, when, when uh, Chairwoman Granger, the full committee uh, chairwoman of the House Appropriations Committee, uh, when they put out their press releases, the committee put out the press release for their first markups of FY 2024, it did not read to me at all as an appropriations sort of release, even for the House. The front headline was, were, we're cutting this spending here, we're cutting this spending here, we're blocking this policy here at different agencies. Um, and that's not typically the tone that you see from appropriations. Typically what you see is, this is all the money we're getting and this is why it's going to benefit you. So how do you think, you know, what's the impact going to be here, you know, in terms of the House-Senate dynamics? Obviously, you know, it seems, you know, at first blush that the the House is ceding a lot of power to the Senate at the end of the day here because I don't think that the Senate or the administration is going to go with these lower House numbers. So essentially, the Senate's going to have free hand to write a considerable portion of the bill, right? And then also, um, and this is probably directed more at Ivan and Chess um, as well, you know, what's the political impact going to be on, you know, a lot of Republicans who are going to be voting, you know, to make substantial cuts on numerous occasions in the coming weeks and months? Well, it's a, so it's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure at this point that I would frame the current situation and certainly not 
enactment of the um, the debt ceiling deal, the uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act, as the House ceding power to anyone. In fact, it was it was interesting. Typically, the Senate is driving the train on cutting you know these big funding deals. Um, what comes to mind for me is in 2019, then Chair Leahy, Vice Chair Shelby on the Senate Appropriations Committee, and and President Trump uh, cut a two-year budget deal, which allowed for appropriations for you know, for the following fiscal years. And they simply just said, hey, no poison pill riders. We're not going to add any poison pill riders. We're going to focus on funding and get forward. And that's what they did. And what we saw on the debt ceiling deal was a negotiation that was driven by the House. The Senate was more or less sidelined, had to eat what the House agreed to with the president. And the House, let's take it a step further, not only was the House leading it, was highly influenced by the Freedom Caucus members and, and further right-leaning House Republican members to shape that negotiation. Now, they might say, okay, well, we're not happy with the final deal and voted against it. But at the end of the day, this deal is what it is because of that Freedom Caucus uh, chorus that was you know, um, standing behind McCarthy throughout this, uh, this entire negotiation saying, hey, you better not sell us out. So, Chess, I'll I'll start on the political side. So, you know, I think so. I, I think there's several things going on, Tim and and team that um, sort of shape the politics, right? Like, I I think with it within appropriations, right? The macros drive the politics, right? Like the people that want to reduce spending, get the government under control, they tend to vote a certain way. The people that want, you know, certain programs and certain safety nets, they tend to vote in one direction. So I don't think any of these cuts actually drive one or the other to switch their views, but there are very popular programs, Right within the list of things that that Republicans have voted to to cut, like for example, I would assume that in every district where Joe Biden did well, you will and and you have a member of Congress that voted against Meals on Wheels, you will see an ad specifically targeted towards Meals on Wheels, right? So there's specific programs that I think are very popular and also very unpopular on the other side. So I think you'll see some of that driven, but I think the terrain as a whole, the, the terrain as a whole politically, you know, won't be moved much by this. It'll be moved by whether or not they can get something done because people want their government to work and get something done, right? So a lot of this is noise, you know, that, you know, that I think very much that members of Congress at times sort of get focused on the the electoral effect of their work on appropriations and specific programs. But at the end of the day, if you've got, you know, if you've got two jobs, four kids, you're driving to soccer, you know, like this is just exhausting to hear. Right. Like whose fault it is. And people just want government to work. So I think that's the macro lens that will affect everything more politically. Jess, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree that I, I think the worst case scenario for both parties is to have a shutdown. I don't think that benefits anyone. Um, you know, there are some probably some bomb throwers on either side that would want to want to shut down to prove whatever point they're trying to make. Um, I, I think, you know, rank and file members don't by and large want that. Um, the other point I would make that, you know, leads into politics appropriations is I would imagine there'll be a number of fights over riders. Um, and these are sort of policies that can be baked into an appropriations bill that either restrict the federal government from doing something or require them to do something. They're often, you know, both both 
parties have their set of riders that they would love to see and usually try to put in bills at the beginning to know that they're, you know, largely going to be negotiated out. Um, but these could be over things like abortion. You know, I think that'll probably be the biggest one and probably the most contentious one this year. Um, in light of um, the road decision, you know, a, a year ago, I think that Democrats will not vote for a, a bill that provides any more restrictions on abortion, sort of at a federal level or within agencies. I think that's just going to be a non-starter. And, you know, there are some Republicans insisting on that, despite, you know, a lot of moderate Republicans, Republicans in Biden districts that kind of would wish the issue would go away at a federal level. Um, so I'm interested to see how that plays out, because I think that will be fodder for 2024. Can we, let's, Ivan, can we, let's pull on that string for just a second, because I think that that's, that is going to be, that's going to be a very interesting aspect in the Dodds decision. I think the one year anniversary is coming up this week and Democrats are, are currently planning a lot of messaging around that. And, I'm, and likewise, I'm sure Republicans are as well. And, and the way that I think that, that I would think about how something like abortion or some other really sort of controversial or, um, you know, heated political topic makes its way into appropriations is not in appropriations itself, but as a bargaining chip to get appropriations done. And so let's go back to what Tim was mentioned briefly. The House is marking up their bills. They have um, to get wonky for just a second. You know, they approved their 302B allocations. What does that mean? It means their top line spending levels for all 12 appropriations bills, which funds all of Congress or all of the executive branch. And they decided to go uh, to approve levels that were below the debt ceiling limit uh, deal, Fiscal Responsibility Act. And if you go and you talk to appropriators in the House as to why they did that sort of behind the scenes, uh, it's for two reasons. One, they want to be able to approve their bills with Republicans, and, it, and they're only going to get a, a party line vote. So they had to, you know, there's a lot of pressure to go below the caps because Freedom Caucus members wanted levels at FY22 spending, which was not part of the Fiscal Responsibility Act. And two, they really see it as a negotiating tactic with the Senate. Because Tim, like you said earlier, the Senate is, by the way, this week, the Senate's approving their 302B allocation. So they're, what they're going to write their bills to, the levels they're going to write their bills to. And I think we're going to see much healthier levels, both for defense and non-defense. And so going into conference at the end of the year, when the House is going to negotiate with the Senate on spending bills, the lower they come in, the Senate's going to have to fight for higher levels, and that—that's you know the House sees that as sort of a negotiating tactic, and it's also probably the only way they get enough Republicans on board. So I had some interesting conversations this last week uh, with some appropriations insiders uh, on the Senate side, and sort of the view that that I think folks are taking right now that are writing these bills is at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have to come up on on spending a little bit, at least from what the House put in. If you listen to, to Leader McConnell's speeches last week on the floor, every single day he mentioned the need to support Ukraine, the need for more funding. And the only way that the debt ceiling bill even got passed in the Senate was Republican and Democratic senators came together, mostly appropriators, and, and went to their leaders, went to McConnell and Schumer and said, hey, we want you to commit to us that you're going to seek supplemental funding for defense and also look for ways to increase non-defense spending. So I think that's where we're going to end up. What, how does that play out in a House that's controlled by Republicans by a very thin margin? 
and by a speaker that can't lose very many votes. And the thought is, okay, if we get if we get to the end of the year and we pass a big omnibus spending bill, that McCarthy's going to be looking for some policy win that he can give his members. So we went up on the numbers, or we went up, you know, to where the Senate wanted to be on funding. And I think just circling all the way back, maybe that looks like something like codifying, you know, an abortion policy at the VA or at DOD. Um, and maybe that's ultimately sort of the deal that tries to get hashed out. Now, whether that actually, you know, happens is unclear. But I do think it's clear that McCarthy's going to have to find some sort of policy win if, if we want to get um, funding levels up to where most folks think they should be. That's a good that's a good analysis, Colo. So we're we're getting towards the end of our of our time together. So we always wrap up by asking each one of us to make a prediction, an insight, an analysis, something that will help people guide their way through Washington, D.C. So, um, you know, uh, Tim, you want to start? Uh, don't make any plans for Christmas. Good advice. Good advice. And every person I know on Capitol Hill has just thought some very bad things about you, Tim. Jess? Um, yeah, one thing I'm watching that we haven't talked about today is um, uh, Majority Leader Schumer has announced sort of a, a series of AI working group briefings and has um, put together a pretty large portion of his staff um, to, to focus on AI and to um, try to come up with some sort of framework or legislation. I think the final work product will be TBD. Uh, but I think there's a ton of interest on the Hill um, about AI sort of across various industries. Um, I think that's only going to increase over the next few months. So uh, I'm watching uh, what, what Schumer and, and the Senate's doing there. Colo? I think it's going to be ugly to the end of the year, but I, my prediction is defense needs, defense emergency response funds, so DERF funding, uh, and supplemental for Ukraine is what what drives the numbers higher and ultimately get something done and and i think mccarthy's in a tough spot and he's gonna have to figure something out to save face and make like it's a win so my two predictions and um so i'm gonna challenge that a little bit colo because you know i i, I think you know, certainly two months ago, I would have said McCarthy can't pass anything without the overwhelming Republican support. Well, he just did with very little Republican support. And guess who's speaker? Guess who continues to be speaker? Kevin McCarthy. So I think I think Kevin McCarthy has more, you know, more staying power than I certainly gave him at the beginning. Um, you know, whether that's because nobody else wants the job, whether or not, you know, nobody else can handle the dynamics, whatever it is, you know, I think I think he, you know, I think he's he's grown as a speaker. I think he handled the media much better than he had in the past. Um, so um, you know, don't count out Kevin McCarthy to um pull together a deal um that nobody's expecting anytime soon. But you know, um as 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 my friends like to say, Ivan Zapian never in doubt, but often wrong. So on that note, that's it. That's all. It's politics. It's the life we've chosen for ourselves. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me on. <laughs>